Hello and welcome to a special edition of the In The Money Players podcast. This is our show for Tuesday, November 22nd. Loaded stuff. We've got four different segments for you on this show. And then we've got more coming straight away right down the pike because we've got coverage of the Friday racing. We have some extra stuff coming on Plus for Thursday that's going to be a lot of fun. Without further ado, I think we've got so much stuff lined up. We're going to get right into it. we got a little break coming up. And after that, you're going to hear from our correspondent, Acacia Courtney, who you know from the Fox shows, from her own In the Ring podcast. She had a chance to sit down this week and talk to Bill Mott. We'll get to that right after this. Today's show brought to you in part by our friends at the Kentucky Thoroughbred Development Fund. Purses in Kentucky are powered by the KTDF and have led to an incredible enhancement to the Kentucky racing scene. KTDF dollars in purses are for Kentucky breads only, so breeding in Kentucky is the best way to maximize profits and return on racing and breeding investments. Because of the benefits from the KTDF, Churchill Downs Racing and Kentucky Racing in general continue to be on an incredible upward trajectory. For more information, please check out inthemoneypodcast.com slash KTDF. So happy to welcome in trainer Bill Mott, who's hot off of a terrific Breeders' Cup weekend. And Bill, now that we have a little bit of time from the Breeders' Cup to now, can you reflect back on that weekend at Keeneland, the way that your horses performed, how meaningful it was to you? Because of course it is a weekend that all of us in horse racing point towards all year long. Well, and it's something that, you know, as a trainer, you know, it, it kind of is the culmination of the year and we, we, we point for it as well. And and we were fortunate enough to have like eight entries and uh, you know, the majority of everybody that we ran uh, the end result was, was very good. They, they all ran very well and uh, everybody trained well. I mean, we had a pretty good experience uh, leading into the breeders cup. I mean, with our prep races and that sort of thing, and the way they came out of them, the way they trained uh, preparing for the races and, uh, you know, the, the, the last group of them that we ran really ran well. I mean, we wound up with, you know, two, two wins and a second and a third. And, and on those days, that's, you know, seconds and thirds are, are actually, you know, uh, like small mm-hmm. victories. I want to talk in particular, as you mentioned, two Breeders' Cup wins. Uh, the Dirt Mile was a incredibly special win with Cody's wish and having Cody Dorman's family there. Can you talk a little bit about that and how extra special that win was? Well, I, I, I found out uh, about Cody Dorman after I'd received the horse. Now Cody's wish was already, I think he'd already turned a three-year-old mm-hmm. by the time I got him, we got him in the winter, you know, of his uh, three-year-old year uh, early in the, early in the winter. And, um, you know, so they told me the story about it and about how the horse was named, how he got his name. And but I hadn't seen any of the videos, really hadn't gotten involved too much in the in in the whole story until later. Once the horse, once Cody's wish got ready to run. And and then, of course, uh, we ran him a couple of times and I sent him down to Kentucky and Cody Dorman was actually able to to make it to the race mm-hmm. and of course that's when things got a little bit more involved and and the story grew and and of course Cody's wish broke his maiden and Cody Dorman was there and mm-hmm. and uh I didn't happen to be there that particular day I watched it on TV but I I think there was a, you know there were a few uh uh, sentimental, happy tears mm-hmm. shed in the winter circle 
you know, uh, in, in celebration of that win. It's such an amazing story and, and a special horse too. And one that seemed to continue to improve leading into that breeders cup as well, of course, defeating Jackie's warrior this summer at Saratoga, uh, certainly not a fluke, but a horse that seemed to get better through the second half of the year. <laughs> right. Well, when, you know, getting him ready, uh, in his three-year-old year, uh, you know, he had worked well and we thought he was a nice horse and we came to, to Saratoga and I just, I, I just chalked him up as a winner. You know, I thought, mm -hmm. well, you know, first time we run him, you know, we're going to go to the winner's circle. And, and I, I had, you know, a lot of confidence, obviously I've been doing it long enough that I know, you know, they, <laughs> they don't always do what you expect him to do, but, uh, it really, he, he really was, uh, more backward mentally than what I had really thought. And, and so he ran very greenly in his first two races. I mean, he, he got off bad. We'd had trouble with him in the gate, you know, first loading, getting away. I mean, he wasn't very quick away from there. And, and the first two times he ran, you know, he broke a little slow and then they kind of asked him to get up in the race and then he wanted to run off and, you know what I mean? He just was doing everything wrong. He wasn't waiting for his cues. He was kind of going when he wanted to go. And he, he just, he just didn't know. And it took, mm -hmm. you know, three or four races for him to get, uh, you know, to get the, the hint of really what was going on. And, and, uh, you know, so we wound up sending him down to Churchill and he broke his maiden first time out there, but, uh, turned out, you know, I think he's won, four or five races at, at Churchill, you know, going down, you know, like a flat mile there. I think he won three in a row at one point. Yeah. He's been incredible this year and talking about a horse that won races in a row and got better in the second half of the year, I would think elite power would certainly be that too, winner of the breeders cup sprint. And he was a horse. I remember speaking to you at Saratoga about him a little bit quirky early on as well. Right. You know, he had two, he had two races at the end of his three-year-old year, year uh, very green, you know, very backward. Uh, we gave him the winter and, and gave him some time for his uh, shins to get better. And, and uh, you know, when we brought him back, he finished a, a good third place in his first out. And then, you know, then he's been perfect ever since. I mean, he reeled off, you know, now he'd before the Breeders' Cup, I think he'd reeled off four in a row and he just every step that he took, he he just did did it the right way, and um, you know we were lucky enough to uh, win the win a a win in your in race, uh, and and you know that led us to <laughs> believe we better go ahead and run in the Breeders' Cup. Both he and Cody's wish didn't break their maidens until they were three-year-olds and then kind of went on to flourish and win Breeders' Cup races. Do you think that that's kind of uh, an interesting pattern to follow and maybe some three-year-olds that we should be putting a little bit more emphasis on versus just looking at some of the younger horses to follow moving into the Breeders' Cup? Well, I mean, I think when you're looking at the older division, I think you, I think you need to look at horses that have have come around you know the middle of their three-year-old year late in their three-year-old year or early in their four-year-old year I mean they're you know they're all you know they've all got different different pedigrees and and uh you know now uh the way they're they're breeding horses in America it's like we've got horses that are actually bred specifically for 
for the early races, for the two-year-old races and the sprint races. And so we see a lot of fast horses early on, you know, from May through, you know, uh, August, September, October of their two-year-old year. But, you know, at, at that stage, then all of a sudden, you know, you find a new group, you get mm -hmm. a new group of horses that are, you know, bred uh, for more stamina and, uh, you know, just a, a little different type of pedigrees. And, and some of those horses come around late and develop later and, and they're, they're really not meant to show that tremendous early speed. Um, but I, I, I think it's a lot in the, a lot has to do in the, in the breeding and the pedigree. I mean, things are, you know, I think they breed them sometimes sort of mm -hmm. to specialize a little bit. Um, so you just have to adjust with the horses and the horses have to adjust with, you know, what races are available. Do you have any later developing horses that maybe we should keep an eye on for next year? I hope that they're later developing. <laughs> I, I, I didn't have too many early, too many <laughs> early ones this year. Uh, you know, so we've still got a group that, uh, we're, we're working with and, and it's always very interesting. You know, some of those horses can break their maidens late November, December, even, you know, maybe if they've run the first of the year and, and it always seems to me like, uh, a lot of horses, a, a big change, a big turnover in a lot of horses when they, when they reach uh April May of their three-year-old year you see a lot of changes mm -hmm. and I think that's one thing that makes the triple crown so uh intriguing is that you know what I mean you get a lot of horses that have run but all of a sudden they find themselves in late March April you know horses that maybe you didn't see too much from as a two-year-old and all of a sudden they're coming around and they, they can, they can actually turn the corner. I've seen some huge turnarounds that time of year. And, and you'll even see it coming into the Kentucky Derby. I mean, you, you, you know, you watch, you, you, everybody's trying to anticipate, you know, who the, who the best horse is. And, you know, obviously sometimes the best one sticks out, but then you've got a large group that, you know what I mean? You're trying to figure out and, and uh, uh, you know, a lot of those horses, you've got to just, look for the horse that seems to be going in the right direction and then proven in, in his recent works and races. And with the example of both Elite Power and Cody's Wish, they, they both were pretty well-traveled, but they both really kind of started off their winning ways in Kentucky. And it's an interesting conversation that even a, a trainer who's been based in New York for so many years, taking advantage of the strong purses in Kentucky, uh, is that so much more of a draw for those Kentucky breads and opting to run at a place like Churchill? Well, we keep a split stable. So mm -hmm. I keep a stable in Kentucky and, uh, and a stable in New York. So, you know, number one, we try to split some of the horses up. So we're not running, you know, uh, two in a race or, you know, make sure we, we mm -hmm. don't have, you know, if we can have one in Kentucky and one in New York, you know, and running them in different spots, or we search for, uh, you know, the availability of races when, what, what races are available and, and where the opportunities are for the horse. So in that particular case, I, I believe it, it was, uh, you know, just the races were available, uh, in Kentucky and they weren't available at that point in time in New York. So that's mm -hmm. where we ran them. 
And with that split stable, um, you mentioned the availability of races, opportunities. Um, does the fact that there are some more incentives for Kentucky breads, for instance, in Kentucky, is that something that goes into the thought process of placing a horse in that second division? Well, actually, yes. I mean, and it's become uh, more of a more of an issue probably in the last two years since the purses have grown in in Kentucky to be more than they are in New York. I mean, it, it, it's always been uh, uh, the history of it is that the you know New York's always been a little ahead of everybody else, and and now uh, Kentucky has caught up and actually surpassed um, New York in the, as far as the purse structure goes. So. You know, we're running for uh, maiden maiden races for uh, over a hundred thousand in in Kentucky at the moment. So uh, it's very intriguing, and 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 naturally the owners like to run for the big purses. So if you've got a horse that's you know that's good enough, uh, they 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 certainly don't mind you know given given a chance for those for those races. Um, it's, uh, you know, and, and I think from all, all the way around, you know what I mean? I think it, 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 uh, it's a good thing. And I wanted to ask you, of course, your son, Riley, um, now training on his own. We saw him get his first winner, which is so exciting at uh, Churchill Downs, in fact, but he'll be spending the winter at Oaklawn Park. Um, for a trainer just starting out, what's some of the advice that you pass along? Of course, uh, he's gotten the opportunity to learn the horsemanship side, having worked for you for years, but uh, many don't exactly know the ins and outs of being a trainer and how difficult it is with attracting owners, staff and everything else that goes into it. Well, there is a lot into it. I mean, he's, you know, he's, he, he's become pretty well-rounded and I think, you know, he's, a, he's a good horseman and I know he knows, you know, he knows to what to look for and, and uh, when to stop and when to go with the horses. And I, I'm sure, you know, the, you, we always have those challenges along the way. I think in the last couple of years, I think he's become more involved in our stable and, and he's, he's become to learn more about, you know, managing the staff and, and uh, you know, you have to learn how to manage uh, a lot of different things. And not, nowadays, uh, I suppose, whether you race in Kentucky or New York or wherever, you know, you've got you've got the labor board to worry about. Mm -hmm. You've got the IRS to worry about. You've got, you know, you know, your payroll accounts to worry about. So there's a lot that goes into it that, you know, uh, I didn't even uh, know was going to happen when I started training. So and, and, and you know, I think the uh, the bureaucracy of training now is is much much different. You know what I mean? There's so many rules and regulations and things you've got to stay on top of. So, you know, you want to be able to, to manage that going in. You don't want to get behind, you know what I mean? You mm -hmm. just don't want to, you know, you don't want to have, have them come in and tell them you've made a mistake and then, you know, pay penalties and that sort of thing. So you've got to have, uh, besides just training the horses, you've got to have everything else <laughs> lined up. So you're, you know, following all the guidelines, following all the rules. And, and so you don't have any setbacks later on, but, uh, it's, uh, you know, and, and, you know, I think the good thing about Riley's made a lot of connections 
you know, over the years and he's, he's uh, likable and approachable. And I think, you know, he's had, you know, people that have reached out to him, called him and want to send him some horses. So it's, it's never easy. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you always, you know, when you're starting out, you need, you know, after you get going for a while to, to maintain the momentum, you've got to, you know, you've got to get to the winner's circle and, and hopefully it's always everybody's dream to, to come up with a, a really good horse. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot to take on for sure. And uh, you've been doing it so well for uh, at the highest level and congratulations again, Bill on such a big breeders cup weekend. Thank you so much for taking the time today and letting me pick your brain a little bit. Okay. Thank you. Don't miss the standard bread action at century mile on Thanksgiving day, November 24th for the national drivers championship. The card kicks off at 618 Mountain, where eight drivers are competing from across Canada to win their way to the World Driving Championship. Drivers earn their way into the finals by finishing first or second in their respective regional driving championship, and the winner will have the opportunity to represent Canada in the 2023 World Driving Championship to be held in Germany in conjunction with the World Trotting Conference. Coming up in this next segment, you're going to hear more about it. Thanksgiving is a time for family and friends, but let's face it, folks, it's also a time for wagering, whether we're talking about uh, the NFL or on the equine side of things, we're going to actually have a plus show with special guest Frank McGowey talking a bit about fairgrounds on Thanksgiving. I think we're going to have Scott Shapiro talking about the Churchill card, but uh, when those tracks finish, there's still action to be had from our friends at the Century Mile, and we're going to have a segment on this show in much deeper coverage elsewhere on the network under the, the first over brand but to talk about the century mile thursday night card we'll bring in uh, first a man who works at the place i believe he's the racing secretary is also an avid fan and going to share some insights with you josh murphy what's going on oh not much pete how's it going with you things are good did i get your bio right you you do a variety of things uh, up there yeah, I'm actually based at Century Downs, but we kind of work between the two properties. We're only about two and a half hours apart on the highway, so we're all kind of one big team. So I'm on site for the event and kind of go back and forth a little. I'm pretty involved with the harness, so when they come up here, I usually make a couple trips up the highway. So I work in the race-offs, I do some on-air stuff, uh, a little bit of everything to kind of pass the time. Two and a half hours on the highway in Western Canada, that's like next door. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you got Red Deer right in the middle. You stop at the donut mill. It's a great donut shop here. Breaks the drive right up in half. And before you know it, you're you're up in the outskirts of Edmonton. We also bring in a man whose work you've heard as part of uh, the First Over podcast. So one of the more knowledgeable and passionate fans of racing that I've had the pleasure to encounter, Mike Probosi. Mike, what's going on? Great to be here, PTF. I have to say, uh, as a huge fan of of all the podcasts, uh, this is like being on the Today Show. I actually made it to the Players Pod. I can't believe it. <laughs> Long overdue. That's we're going to call that one a host fail that we haven't had that happen sooner. And 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 we hope as we continue. I mean, the first over shows you guys have been doing uh, have been so successful. I'm hoping we're going to get to do more and more of this. But first off, let's start with the very very basic stuff. And Josh, we'll bring you back in to answer this one. What is the significance of this Thanksgiving night in the USA uh, card? How, how did it come about? What's special about it? Well, this is the national driving championship that we're proud to host at Century Mile. It's basically a collection of drivers who have qualified from across Canada. There's two drivers from each region, Ontario, Western Canada, Quebec and Eastern Ontario, and then Atlantic Canada. 
So you have two from each of them, and they are competing for a spot at the World Driving Championships ne- next summer in Netherlands, Germany, and Belgium. So it, it should be a big event. We hosted the regionals at Century Downs for the Western part, and that was a great event. But now we kind of got everyone coming here, and it should be a great night of racing. You got the best of the best who have qualified to be here. So new drivers, only the second day up here at Century Mile on the mile track in the name, obviously, but it definitely, you know, there's a, there's a lot that kind of shakes up the regular racing and bringing all these guys in can make it a really fun spectacle to watch. It's a really cool idea. Now, the fact that it's happening on Thanksgiving night, Thanksgiving night in the USA, of course, in Canada is just Thursday. Is it just a complete coincidence that it's on this night or is having a, a USA potential uh, captive audience uh, recovering from the tryptophan part of why it's scheduled on this night? Yeah, we kind of wanted to get in in a good simulcast spot, and we were kind of looking, and, you know, in November, we kind of looked, and, you know, weekends are, are busy, and obviously on, like, a Saturday, there's between, you know, Mohawk and Meadowlands, and then you throw in thoroughbred tracks. There's a lot of there's a lot of product going on, so we kind of looked, and there's a bit of a blank spot. Usually by that time of day, I'm out of money on football, so I'm all ears <laughs> for racing, so we kind of thought it might be a, a unique spot there and should give us a good chance to get some attention from south of the border as well Thursday night here. We're, we're still doing pretty well on track wise. I know the buffet is going to be basically full. Lot, lots of people coming out for that. I think they're really excited to see some of these names coming in to drive. So that was our hope to, you know, really try to maximize handle and get as many eyes on the product as possible. Mike, let's talk about it from a fan's point of view. What are you looking forward to about this card? What are your expectations in terms of wagering opportunities? Well, I, I feel like that there's a, a very much a, uh, a potential for chaos, especially for uh, in all of these races, because you have eight different drivers. You have guys that really don't drive against each other uh, consistently. And the format I feel like is, is fantastic. The way they designed it. Uh, it, it was almost like a fantasy football type concept where guys got to pick their horse in each individual race in a specific slot. So you got your first pick in say race three, and then in race four, you had the second pick and so on and so forth. And they switched the post positions also to where every guy has to start from each particular post. So you have eight different races. You have drivers in eight different posts on horses they're not used to driving. And I, I feel like that that, as a, for a gambling standpoint, it really sets itself up for some really interesting results and uh, bigger payouts. It is a really fun idea. I love the, the, the creativity that went into the, the format. How long has this, uh, has this event been around, Josh? And, and how new are these twists that Mike is talking about? Uh, well, it's been around for a while. I, this was the first year I believe they've done the draft in this exact way, which I thought was a really cool way. I actually got to sit in on the draft. And it was, you know, interesting because – depending when you got your first pick, you know, some races, if you got your first, the guy that got his first pick, there might've been a slam dunk horse that was really obvious to take. But then if you were the, you you happen to get your first pick in a a race that was wide open, I think that's where it got very interesting and kind of going through watching them live and seeing, okay, there's five horses left and who's taken what. And then you throw in a guy like a Dave Kelly, one of the Western representatives who has some of his own horses in the competition. And I thought it was interesting seeing, oh, is he going to try to take his? Is he going to take other ones? And that that's, I thought, was a cool modification they made that I believe talking with Standard Canada, that was the first time they've done it in this exact way. But like Mike was touching on, it should make, for a wagering perspective, 
the best because you got, yeah, everyone's with an equal opportunity from each post and, you know, they're driving horses. They more or less picked. I mean, once you get down to your seventh or eighth pick, it's kind of might be just a bit of a coin toss, but nevertheless, it gives you, you know, the opportunity for chaos and the opportunity for someone to, you know, have a good draw, but partly because of what you selected. So I think that's what adds the extra element in. I think really should make this event even more special than past ones. Let's talk about drivers to watch if the, if you have any particular leans or is this a situation where it's just more about the about the horse because it's the driver championship. I, I want to think that maybe there's some uh, drivers we can look to follow throughout the night. But if I were to hold your feet to the fire, Josh, on a, on a name or two that you're particularly excited to see how they do or perhaps wager on, where would you go with that? I thought a couple guys had a really good draft. I thought one of our local guys, Mike Hennessy, and that's where the local guys have the opportunity. They drive week in, week out with these horses. I mean, here in Alberta, we race almost year round. We take about a month off. So, I mean, we have tons of racing and these guys know the horses pretty darn well. So I thought Mike got some good picks there with some horses that, especially the interesting part is a lot of these Century Downs horses, that's an 11 16th mile track there. I know odd 11 16th, but that's what it is. So you got them coming up to the mile here and that's a complete game changer for some of these ones. Some struggle to get a hold of the footing, some struggle to get around the turns, but you bring some of these ones up here to Century Mile and they're completely different horses. And I think that's where I thought some of Mike's picks were very good. Horses that he thinks will get around this track better. And with only the one day so far, there's not a ton of form to show they might, which I kind of thought he did well. And the other guy, one of the Atlantic Canada guys, I thought Mark Campbell has a few live horses. I was impressed. I know a couple of times I was sitting there thinking, oh, if I was in this guy's shoes, I'd take this horse. And a bunch of times Mark took it, which might be kind of scary for him if I'm on the th- same thoughts as him but nevertheless i thought he's got kind of a few live ones some horses i think are kind of trending in the right direction and look to be in some pretty good spots mike same question for you in terms of human connections anybody in particular you're looking to follow thursday night i do agree that hennessy did uh, have a very good draft i was going to mention him i do i think that um Samuel Fillion, I think, has a, a very good chance because some of his longer shot horses, I do believe, have big chances. Uh, I, I feel like that he drafted well also. He's 25, and he's probably the up-and-coming kid of this bunch. And I feel like that you know he's going to be hungry. And I think that he definitely rates a chance and is very much under the radar. And then I feel like Doug McNair is the main guy. He's he's probably the top driver of all these guys in, in, a, in a vacuum. And he makes speed. He improves horses. And I feel like that he's going to get extra points just by moving horses up. And that's going to mean a lot when you're dealing with eight races and having to score in each one to eventually win. Yeah, that's a great question. Is what what is it gonna what is it gonna take? What kind of a performance do you think, Mike, is, is gonna lead to victory here? Well, I, I feel like that consistency obviously matters when you're dealing with all of these, you know, you, you have to score in eight races. So but I, I would feel like that the the guys that win two or three are, you know, I mean, and that and that's obvious. That's captain obvious, but I I feel like that, you know, the the better guys, um, Drivers like McNair that that can get a second that maybe that a horse that is their eighth pick or that might be the seventh or eighth horse in the race that's going to go a long way in eventually and ultimately winning it. We got a few minutes left. I want to talk about wagering. Obviously, there's going to be a, a whole other uh, segment slash show about this card going deeper, much deeper into the form. But for people who are maybe intrigued by what we're talking about, they want to dip their toe in the water. 
The first question I'll ask is going to be about uh, maybe an interesting wagering pool to attack, and then we'll get down maybe into some specific horses. Josh, we'll throw it back to you. What uh, what pools are you particularly excited about uh, following throughout the course of the night? Is there any bets in particular catch your interest? I always love our pick fours here. They're a dollar base, which is different than a lot of tracks, and I really think it makes a difference in the payouts. That's something that I know at Century Downs we really enjoyed purely because you beat a favorite or two, and it doesn't have to be anything crazy illogical. But you know, you're starting to pay three, four hundred bucks by getting a, a couple six to one shots in the mix with a few logical horses, and especially with those being the last four races on the card Thursday. I think, you know, guys are really going to be driving aggressively. And I think that's going to be kind of a good sequence there that it's going to be crunch time for the NDC races for the drivers themselves, which is going to lead to, you know, there's going to be lots of action in these races. There's no next week for these guys. You know, sometimes horses here when a trainer driver has it, it's, oh, you know, you know, we got next week, you know, we're not going to go crazy from this post or whatever it may be. These guys, they're here for the day. Well, six of them are at least, and that should be really fun. And, a lot of times I think it's, there's really some overlays in those pick fours that I, I look and, you know, you look back at the sequence and say, you know, none of those horses were crazy to have and it paid 400 bucks or 500. And I think that's where there's some value there. That $1 base, I think really, you know, makes you have to kind of have an opinion that you can't just go super deep in a bunch of legs and maybe single the obvious chalk. So that's what, what, what I think should be fun. And there's a few wide open races in that sequence that I think will really add to it. So that could pay well. If you can, you know, get a couple mid prices in there. Definitely a lot of interest in that late pick four. And I agree about the dollar minimums. They sort of works a couple of different ways, in my opinion, in the player's advantage. And I think you hit on one of the key things there, Josh, that idea of just forcing the player to have more of an opinion. And I also think it often leads to less complete efficiency in the way that other people um, and other machines bet in these pools and leads to overlays that way as well. So I'm very intrigued by that. Wagering wise, Mike, what are you thinking? Where where do you imagine you'll be investing most of your capital Thursday night? I think that uh, especially with the dollar minimums and things that superfectas at, at the in these races, I think are very important because you have the potential for carryovers. So you have a dollar minimum super, those are going to be on hit, especially if they are chaotic and that tends to roll over super carryovers into the next races. And anybody sees a carryover, what are they going to do? Okay. That's a, a, a pool I need to attack. I mean, we saw this, this past week at Meadowlands, they had a $50,000 carryover in a pick four generated $400,000 worth of new money. So and right. I think that it's at smaller tracks, especially when you get super carryovers, people are drawn to those things. People see that's a takeout reducer. I want to get involved. And I, I feel like with the, the nature of these races, that supers are going to be a great play here on Thursday. I think that's a great call for all the reasons you mentioned. And that's something to keep an eye on throughout the evening is, is looking what's going to happen in terms of some of those pools carrying over. I love those ideas. Very quickly, I'd love to get at least a specific horse or or two from each of you that we might want to be taking a look at for. Again, I'll mention this again because it's important. If you're interested in diving into all the form, we're going to have that for you here on the network as well. But, Mike, let's keep it with you for, for a specific bet or two we might be looking to get after Thursday. I'll give you a horse in the fifth race. And I usually give prices. I'm I'm not really a big chalk guy. So uh, the fifth race, it's the two keeps getting better. This is a Samuel Filion horse that I do believe has a – a much better chance than he has recently has had bad posts, gets an inside draw typically comes from off the pace. I think should race very well on this mile track. So give me the two in race number five. 
Love it. Josh, how about you? Is there, there a horse you're particularly looking forward to getting stuck into? Uh, well, there's a couple that I thought were interesting. I mean, if to go the price route, there's a couple that I thought were fun. Also in that fifth race, I thought the seven horse Tropical Dragon is a horse I've been waiting to get back up to the mile track. He's got 13 lifetime wins. Ten of them have come over a mile track. He just can't get around Century Downs, really. So I think he's going to see be a much better version of himself. Whether he kind of gets it all together by Thursday night, I'm not sure. But he's going to be a much better horse than his recent line show. And I think he'll he'll be one to watch. Another horse that I was interested in was the last race, was Custard's Dungeon, a horse Dave Kelly will be will be driving, who's going to be dropping in class here, has been chasing the nine claimers around. He had a good summer track on two, which is also a mile racetrack, kind of right between the two century properties on, on Lacombe, or in Lacombe, I should say. And I think he'll appreciate the class relief here. And, and quickly, one other one that's not as big a price, but in race seven, Outlaw Sky's the Limit. It does kick off the pick four of that race. This horse tried to make a big move last time up the backside. That was the day at Century Downs. We must have had 50-mile-an-hour winds coming into their into their face on the backside. So this horse pulled and then just basically stopped. That wind was crazy. But I like I like Luis Philippe Wa getting the, the, the drive here, and I think he'll get along with her. And she's been kind of knocking on the door a little bit wind-shy, but I think he's in a much better situation here to break through. Some great ideas for some horses we can be wagering on on Thursday. And I really encourage flat fans to take a look at harness racing. And the example Mike just gave, you'll see some much more significant pools here than I think many flat players are are considering. And especially on Thursday night, well, whether you've got football on in the background or you've had enough of that and are ready to focus back on on horses this is something worth paying attention to josh let us know the particulars when do you start when's the first post when does that late pick four kick off maybe that's a key time folks want to set an alarm for and uh, what's the best way to watch well the first post is 6 15 mountain time here so that's 8 15 eastern 5 15 on the west coast and we're going every 25 minutes roughly uh, for post time. So that does kick off the pick four at 845 local time. So that'll be yeah, 1045 on the East Coast. So something late night for all the people up there. And the best way to watch through RTN or any of your ADW sites, we do broadcast in HD, which is something we've gone to the past couple of years, which I, I am pretty proud of the feed here. I think it does look very well. You know, when I got it up on the Roku on the TV, I quite enjoy the feed. So yeah, that's the best way to watch. It'd be either through your RTN or through your ADW. Yeah, six fifteen Mountain Time first post, and it yeah, races going roughly every twenty five minutes. Excellent. Really appreciate your help today, Josh and Mike. Check out First Over for more coverage of Century Mile Night, these drivers championships. It's going to be a lot of fun. I will be paying attention, and we'll have you guys back on soon. I hope. Thanks so much. Thanks, Pete. Yeah, perfect. Thanks, Pete. Appreciate your time. We here at In The Money Media are thrilled to be partnered with Hawthorne Racecourse for the end of 2022 and excited to announce they will be featuring a $25,000 guaranteed late pick four on Fridays through the end of the year. The wager will run through the last four races of the card. There should be great opportunities each week for a savvy player to take down the whole pool. And we're going to talk about this more in the next segment, but do not miss the legendary Thanksgiving weekend contest this weekend, November 25th through 27th now including a $1 million bonus for the player who wins one of these and goes on to win the 2023 National Horse Players Championship. 
three one-day contests Friday through Sunday, 10 NHC seats available, $300 bankroll for Friday, $500 Saturday and Sunday. No entry fee. The seats are added. Live wagers, open format, the biggest bankrolls win. Stay tuned to the In The Money Airwaves for more Hawthorne content and check out InTheMoneyPodcast.com slash H-A-W for more contest information. Next up on the show, a partner I'm very happy to have here at In The Money Media because he runs contests that are must attend for many, many horse players in the Midwest and sometimes not just from the Midwest. Players will descend from all over the country on Hawthorne and the nearby off-track facilities to play in these Thanksgiving weekend contests. And the man who runs them is with us here now, John Walsh. John, what's going on? Hey, everything's good. It's a gorgeous day. It's starting to warm up a little bit here in Chicago, so that's nice. It's And not that common this time of year. It, feel, it feels like Chicago here in New York this morning. I abandoned the outdoor run plan, but hopefully things are going to be nice for the contest this weekend. I know you have a lot of players locally, a lot of players coming in from all over the place. Have you ever done any research on that? Like how many states are represented at the Hawthorne contest or what's your general sense of, of who comes from where? Well, we have people that usually come from Canada, Nebraska, definitely Texas, New York, Florida. I mean, there's, and of course, you know, right around us to Ohio, we have a bunch of a little contingent that comes in usually every contest. So we do get people from all over. <laughs> and I've always said it's one of the best opportunities all year long to qualify for the NHC because the seats are added to the prize pots. Also, if you're somebody playing for NHC tour points, it's an opportunity to do a trip and not just have one opportunity to end points, but three different opportunities to, to earn points for uh, an event like the NHC tour. Give us the overview of what's happening when this weekend. So Friday, we are giving away two seats. The top prize Friday also gets a million-dollar bonus on top of it, whether you're double qualified or not. So each top person each day gets a million-dollar bonus if they also win the NHC. That's fun. That is fun. And then Saturday and Sunday, we have four seats we're giving away each day. So in case Friday doesn't work out, you have Saturday and Sunday to – turn things around with three different days. We rarely have the same people winning, you know, because you know how racing is every day is different. And so, uh, 10 seats this weekend, we're looking forward to it. It should be lots of fun and we have lots of great locations for people to go to. I want to get into that, but let's talk buy-in first. And again, the best part of this is you're basically your buy-in is your bankroll, which you're then betting throughout the day. The pro the, the, the seats, that John mentioned, are added. What are the buy-ins for the three different days? So for Saturday, the buy-in is $500. And unfortunately for me, I'm not sure about Friday, but I'll look at it right now. I think it's 300 or 400. It's definitely less on Friday, but Saturday. I thought it was 300 and then two 500s, if I'm remembering right from the various ads I've read for this. I'll trust your... (laughs) We'll, we'll double check that while we talk. We don't want to give uh, we don't want to give out bad info. There is a pretty link that we set up at InTheMoneyPodcast.com, so you can very easily navigate over to the Hawthorne contest information. InTheMoneyPodcast.com slash H-A-W. You can confirm everything we're talking about here. The other thing I wanted to underline format-wise is this is not like any other contest that I know of. This is an open format. You can bet on pretty much any pool 
thoroughbred racing wise that Hawthorne is offering during the day. Is that still the case? Have you changed those parameters at all? Not at all. We When we started our contest, we thought, hey, it's your money. You bet the way you want to. I don't want to put you, if you only play trifectas and you win, well, why shouldn't you have a chance to win the contest? So that's the way we set it. You could play pick five, pick four, pick six. We've had people win the contest on all of those wagers, and we've had people win the contest just on exactas, and we've had people just win the contest on win bets. So, you know, you could win it anyway. It just depends how your day goes. And I will say Friday, it is a $300 buy-in. Excellent. Excellent. What type of score would you recommend that people shoot for? With the open format, obviously the upper end of it must have much higher variation than in other pools. Somebody goes and hits the pick six and turns their uh, 300 into 30,000 once in a while, I'm sure. But what would you normally say you should shoot for? I think if you're shooting for the top three or four spots, you should be looking to at least get five times your bankroll. That'd be, that's a good rule of thumb. So on Friday, it might be 1500 or 2000 on Saturday, it might be 2500 to 3000 you'll be able to get a seat usually and obviously you the leaderboard is continuously updating throughout the day i would imagine you know if it is going to be some outlier type year you'll you'll be able to sense that and adjust your play accordingly yes everybody gets a text when the scores are updated and then are updated on our website and then click on it and each location we also post them uh, a lot of players get surprised because, you know, they get a $10,000 score and then they go, oh, I'm in. Next thing they know, they're in fourth place because everybody saw their $10,000 score and said, I've got to get 10000 So <laughs> <laughs> You have to be on the lookout for, for, for that, being that, uh, that sitting duck potentially at the top of the leaderboard. Though the way this format works with the prizes being similar for the first four, are they exactly the same or just similar for the top four? They're the same except for the million-dollar bonus that you would win if you are the top player. So you get a million-dollar bonus if you win the NHC contest. Otherwise, their top four, uh, Saturday and Sunday are identical. What what hours does the contest go? Obviously, there's racing all over the world, and it's it's you know you're focused on the North American stuff. But what when does the contest begin, and when do you declare a winner? It begins at the first major track in the U.S., which, you know, could be Aqueduct, it could be Gulfstream, depends how many races they have. And then it ends with either Golden Gate, Del Mar, or Hawthorne. And those would be the last track sometime around 6.30, quarter to 7 at the latest, usually. Okay. So it doesn't go all night. You're not you're not no. following the, the end of the racing in the in the West Coast, necessarily. Don't have to worry about Hong Kong. Right. <laughs> Well, it's a great opportunity. You mentioned there's several different places to play. Some of your facilities are already booked. You're on pace to have record numbers, you were telling me off air. Let's hear about what some of the options are where folks can go and play still this weekend. So Oak Brook and Players Pub, which are in Prospect Heights, are sold out. However, we have Hoffman Estates, which is kind of near O'Hare if you're flying in, as well as Villa Park. We have plenty of room at those places and if you're coming into the south side crestwood and joliet also have lots of seats available because they're big locations so if uh, you feel like going out to those places there'll be plenty of room for you food's great and uh, staff's fantastic too so you won't have to worry about what to do when you get there 
Nice. And the track itself is not available for this these years contests? No. And I the reason people always ask me, well, why can't you do it at the track too? Because in Illinois, there's a like a surcharge at OTBs. So at the OTB, there's one price. At the track, there's another price. So we just give everybody at the track a big advantage. We're looking forward to do some at the track once we have a bigger footprint there with our construction going on. So once that's finished, most of our contests will come back to the track. Gotcha. I mentioned the pretty link where folks can find information in the moneypodcast.com slash H-A-W. Where else can they go? Is it, Are you available if folks have further questions? What would you what would you recommend the next step is for people who want to get involved? If anybody has questions, they can email me. It's jwalsh at clubhawthorne.com or they can send me a text at 708-606-5929 and I'll uh, answer pretty quickly unless it's two in the morning and I'm sleeping. <laughs> you sleep? I didn't realize. <laughs> uh, just a little. <laughs> Well, you've been doing a great job out there. I know, you know, the, the other contest uh, had, a, had a great response. We were able to do some promo for that and, and had uh, Chris Larmy on after the fact. We'll be excited. You send me send me some results of your qualifiers. We'll make sure to give them shout outs as well on the In The Money Media Network. And, and hopefully in future, we're going to be able to do more stuff together as well. I think we hit all the notes. Anything we left out that the people need to know? Any closing thoughts from you, John? Uh, good luck this weekend. And, uh, you know, I think for contests, I think it really helps our customers because they really have to focus on their handicapping that day. There's no interruption. So I think it, I think it helps them win more. And I think it's, it's a great giveaway to, you know, you don't pay anything. And if you want to quit, you just quit, you leave and you come back the next day. So lots of fun. And thank you very much. A unique format that I love promoting here. Very excited to see who does well out there, potential tour implications, all this good stuff happening. John, we'll have you back soon. We appreciate all your help. All right. Thanks, Pete. Next up on the show, a familiar voice, a familiar guest around here. We call her the first lady of the In The Money Players podcast from the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation. She is Kim Weir. Kim, what's going on? Happy Thanksgiving Monday, Pete. It's such a treat to start the holiday week with you. So I'll, all's well here in actually snowy covered Saratoga. Oh yeah, that's right. You guys got uh, got hit a bit. I got to remember to pay that guy to do that thing. That's it's all, it's all coming back <laughs> yeah. to me now. No snow here. No snow here in Brooklyn, but it's you know very exciting week because not only Thanksgiving week, the holidays, big racing weekend. But it's also my last week of my life being complete bedlam for a couple of months. You know, it's just been it's been completely crazy. And it's this year and it's a wonderful thing. It's continued through November with having Churchill in the in the KTDF in the fold and having Delmar in the fold. It's been a lot more um, coverage than in in November's past. I'm not even going to say it's a good problem to have because it's not a problem at all. But I am looking forward to we've got some great stuff coming up in December, but definitely a chance to take a breath and to get to some of our traditional holiday coverage. And one of the things we're going to do one week from today is our annual, we say with all due affection, degenerate gift giving guide. (laughs) Oh, I love that thing. I love that. I know you love that show. You've been on that show before. And I thought we'd sort of soft launch the gift giving season here because of a a couple of boxes you found in your garage. How's that for a lead into our first Oh, I like that. I like that. It's the holidays. It's time to start drinking. (laughs) (laughs) 
Giving <laughs> gifts and drinking, two things the holidays are all about, at least around here. Um, t- tell us what you found and wh- how we're going to handle it and how it all ties in with the great work you're doing at TRF. Oh, yeah. Well, it is wonderful. And I, my phrase, which I think you and I need to both embrace, is slow my roll. I am also trying to slow my roll, which is, which is no small task, but it is exciting. And, and I look forward to doing it, too. And in that process, hey, maybe it's related. I was actually cleaning my garage yesterday before the snow came because I'd like to put my car in there. And indeed, I found, uh, I found, what did I tell you what I found? I found a case and a half what was the number? 24? It's not a big number, but 24, I think, is the number of bottles that I found um, of the fabulous uh, 2021 vintage of the In the Money Rye, the Empire Blend, I think you called it. I looked at it the other day. Anyway, so this is a precious, this is a precious commodity. And it's just thanks to a little bit of a pre-snowstorm cleaning that I found it. And I said, Pete, we need to make some hay out of that rye. (laughs) And here we are. (laughs) So yeah, the rye, for those that don't remember, it's a four-year-old rye from our friends at Albany Distilling Company. And this was um, my, I I don't want to really say it was my idea because it was just an idea, like all my best ideas, it was just one I stole. But I did encourage (laughs) Rick and John and the team up there to throw this in an apple brandy barrel for mm-hmm. a few months. And it really mm-hmm. took on this cocktail in a bottle type notes. And it's wonderful to use. Um, it's obviously wonderful, neat. That's how I prefer to drink it. But it works on the rocks. It works in cocktails. And it brings that nice little apple brandy note to things. It's honestly, we debuted it. I think we debuted it in the summertime, but it's perfect for the oh, winter. Yeah. yeah, I sort of conceived it as a Saratoga tribute in a way because New York, historically known for rye whiskey, obviously upstate New York and apples are synonymous. But yeah. in truth, I think around the holidays, it's the best. And I wasn't sure we had any bottles left. And you mentioned tying it into the hay drive. What's really great about this is the donation. You know, these aren't for sale. We give them as gifts for donations to the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation. And because of the ongoing hay drive, which we're about to talk about, you get a little bit more bang for your buck. Yeah, that's for sure. And, and I'm so grateful that you were open to this idea, Pete, because um, we always we love we love that you give these beautiful gifts in uh, and thanks um, for donations to our herd always and all the different ways we do that. But this time of year is is really it, it. You know, I know every charity says it, but for us, it is very specific. It's not just, oh, it's the end of the year. We need to raise a lot of money. Um, it is hay season. And we I know um, you're aware of our hay drive and your listeners probably are. We launched it uh, weeks ago with uh, Steve Bick on his show. And we do a press release. Every industry publication supports us in helping us get the word out because we have the largest herd of retired racehorses. All 450 of them need to be eating 20 hours a day every day. And at this time of year, when there's no grass, that means hay. Um, so indeed, we are, with your with your great um, graciousness, going to tie um, the donations uh, for these remaining precious 24 bottles um, to our hay drive. And what that means, our hay drive actually is, is a campaign that has a match. It has a very generous match from the wonderful Santuli Family Foundation. They give us $60,000 to do a dollar-for-dollar match for every gift up to sixty thousand, um, because our our normal budget is around one hundred and twenty thousand dollars for the year. It's our largest single item on the TRF budget is hay. Um, so anyway, so by giving through your wonderful link um, and giving uh, with a, a request for a bottle um, as a thank you, um, your mat your gift will be doubled, literally doubled by the Santuli Foundation, and will help us reach 
reach our goal. Um, and quite frankly, our goal is is something else we can talk about. But it's uh, it's a tough year for hay. Uh, it's a tough year in the economy generally, but it's yes. particularly tough in hay world. So we really would appreciate that. So I'll leave it there and say, uh, thanks to your go ahead. I put the hay drive button on your page. So that donation will go to hay drive. And it means every gift you give through that link, any size, any amount will be matched. Um, and you can set the number for the bottles because there's only 24 left. Let's be clear about that. <laughs> well, let's see. I, what I think because we, we have the matching to help us out. I think we can get away with going with a little bit of a discount over what we were originally doing them for. Um, what, what about 150? If we, a do, donation of 150 gets you a bottle. And what if, to sweeten the deal even further, Jonathan and I were to sign said oh. bottles? This may be less of just an incentive for the listeners to come on board and more of an excuse for me to get up to Saratoga yes, for a I day like for that. a holiday lunch. Don't tell Susan I said that. Um, <laughs> what do yes. you think? Is that, is that fair or, will you, or, oh, well. or should we keep it? Should we keep it at 200? What do you think? No, no. I, I think that's very, I think that's wonderful. I mean, every $150 gift will be 300 for us. So that is really wonderful. Um, and um, gosh, you know, if it means that we get to have a little get together and have you guys sign some bottles and maybe, I don't know. Drink something. <laughs> I'm all in. I'm all in. I think that sounds great. We'll save um, one bottle for drinking. If there's okay. 24, there's only 23 because we, right. we really they're going to fast. Sign it. Yeah. <laughs> they're going fast. Um, that would be fantastic, uh, Pete. I would so appreciate it. And I don't want to be, um, you know, we don't want to be too heavy handed, but I do have to just say that we are really facing a, a severe situation with our hay this year. Um, costs are up, as I said, 23% due to fuel, fertilizer, and inflation. We started feeding. I don't know if you noticed this when we were together in Kentucky how brown the fields were yeah uh, it was beautiful but it was the wrong color usually kentucky stays green a lot longer and we've been feeding hay in kentucky to our three farms um two months earlier than we normally do uh, because of the drought so um anyway it's just a situation it's it's always needed and i i know it sounds cheesy to say this year more than ever but but i don't usually say that and it's so true it's just true and appreciate you jumping in and, and offering your beautiful bottles um and some fun uh to your listeners to incentivize them but do know 150 would do a bottle but any gift of any size would be welcome and be matched so that button oh, that's right good yeah right so if that's too rich for your blood I'd, I'd argue it in both directions if that's too rich for your blood donate what you can and um you know i'll see you at the track sometime and buy you a drink of a whiskey of your choice <laughs> yes and if it's uh if obviously don't feel limited by that by that 150 feel free to feel free to go nuts do all your holiday shopping over at trfinc.org slash players and, and buy a bunch of bottles or just uh, uh, you know give great. generously it's an important cause we've talked about it you know many many times on these airwaves and i know it's not directly tied in with the work you do kim but it is indirectly enough that i'm hoping you're going to put a link on our page to this piece yeah. from 60 Minutes last night that oh spoke gosh. to the type of work that you do. You tell, tell the listeners about that. Oh, my gosh. It was so wonderful and so heartwarming. I can't tell you how many texts I had last night um, with people watching 60 Minutes, which I – I guess I'm, I will now confess I don't usually watch, but I, um, the piece that ran last night is on the, um, a program that is out in Wyoming. It's at a state um, correctional facility, prison in Wyoming. Um, and they partner uh, with the um, Bureau of Land Management, um, which is the, or the federal organization that not only manages land, but as a result, manages the wild horse population out west. So I've known about this program for years. There actually was a movie in the theaters a couple years ago about this, where the horses and the humans are working together 
very similar to our TRF Second Chances program. So the beauty of this piece is that while it is not us, and I'm not trying to claim that 60 Minutes did a piece on us, that's still on my wish list, by the way. Um, anyone out there who wants to talk to me about <laughs> national media coverage, I'm, I'm here. Um, but the beautiful thing is this piece absolutely positively captures the all the magic that you and I try to convey whenever we talk about it, Pete, which is how these horses impact these humans. And the, the, and that's what is beautifully portrayed in this piece um, done by 60 Minutes. Um, and these horses are just gorgeous. And we love them all, quite frankly, as much as we work for the thoroughbreds. It reminds me how much I just love them all. So I will put that on your page. I'd be happy to. I'd love for your listeners to watch it. I think it's like 13 minutes long. It's a big piece. It's a, it's a, it was a big chunk of 60 Minutes. And um and use it to tell the story. If you care about the Second Chances program, this is why I so appreciate um, all media coverage because it helps reach other audiences. Um, and it's the same work we do. It just happens to be with different different horses. Um, so the, I'll, I'll put that there. It is really cool. It was a, a wonderful, it was a wonderful Sunday night of my phone blowing up with happy news. And I loved that. So That's great stuff. And we're going to try to make the happy news even happier by supporting the Hay Drive in whatever ways we can. Hopefully, um, clearing out that extra room in your garage. <laughs> and then we'll have to talk. I know we, we ended up skipping 2022 for a variety of reasons, but hopefully we'll have another uh, promotional whiskey, TRF, Albany Distilling Company partnership for, uh, for next year. And whiskey, that's a good topic actually for our, uh, for our gift giving guide. I'll line up a guest. We're going to have Jennifer Kelly, as usual, doing her fabulous job guiding us through what she has found and she always has great thoughts, especially on, on books and, and other, she's always got creative ideas, but uh, maybe we'll bring in a booze person too. We'll continue the conversation then Kim, we appreciate having you on. We're going to see you at various holiday parties throughout the season. And we look forward to having you back on these airwaves very soon. Thank you, Pete. Happy Thanksgiving to you and all your listeners. One more time, the link for donations for the Hay Drive to secure one of the final bottles of the In the Money rye aged in apple brandy barrels, trfinc.org slash players. That's going to do it for this edition of the show. I want to thank all of today's guests. Really want to thank you, the listeners. You've made this year so incredibly successful, the best we've ever had. We love bringing content to you week in, week out, and for special events like the Kentucky Derby and the Breeders' Cup. I thank you at the end of every show because I mean it. I'm also going to be asking you a favor soon. I'm going to be sending out a listener survey. We'd really appreciate it if you can take, I don't know, about four minutes, hopefully, and fill that out for us. But thank you for all that you do. You make these shows a lot of fun. We'll thank our founding partners, 10 Strike Racing. You know around here how we love to root for the purple and black. And also the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation. You heard all about the Hay Drive earlier in the show. I'll give you that URL one more time, trfinc.org slash players. This show has been a production of In The Money Media. Our business manager is Drew Cotney. Our chief creative officer is Jonathan Kinchin. I'm Peter Thomas Fornatel. May you win all your photos. <laughs> <laughs>